0: Welcome to Trashy Divorces, week 10. Episode 10. Episode 10. 10
1: trash cans for this week's stories.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. Who do you have for us this week, Alicia?
1: This week I'm bringing uh, to you Rock and Roll's Trashiest Love Triangle, George Harrison, Patty Boyd, Eric Clapton. Yikes. Lots Yikes. of, oh, no, so good. It's a, <laughs> it's an amazing, it really is an amazing story, with a big shout out to all of our friends over across the pond I think you'll find this one pretty fun and deep in exploration of your English musical legacy.
0: For sure. So
1: it was a lot of fun. It was It's a little bit more fun than yours.
0: Yeah, mine. What you got um, this week? <laughs> mine is uh, American musical royalty. You know, people who helped birth rock and roll into the world. Yeah. Rhythm and blues into the world. But it's Ike and Tina Turner and... While I knew that there was violence in their marriage, there was so much more violence in their marriage than I knew. So this one's a little a little tough.
1: If domestic violence is something that you are sensitive to, you may want to instead, Stacey, you have an alternative idea.
0: I do. We are going to jam-pack our website, TrashyDivorces.com, with video clips from both of our stories. So it, we're going to have Beatles. We're going to have Eric Clapton we're gonna like Layla's gonna be there. We're gonna have Ike and Tina Turner. We're gonna have like Mary. It's We're a, gonna it's have it's a great
1: concert lineup.
0: It's just and it's also people who've covered them. We're Mick Jagger will be on our website, <laughs> not through his doing, but YouTube is a great thing. Beyonce, uh, you name it. Probably if you are trapped in an office this week, I know a good way for you to kill a few hours with some great music with some
1: great tunes.
0: So. So, it it is... It, mm-hmm. It's a great story, right? It's like, a great story. Tina Turner is amazing. One of my heroes. She is just phenomenally great. But, but getting there was was tough. So,
1: yeah, just as a word of warning, like, it was hard for you to tell. Yeah. It was difficult to hear. The story ends up on a really positive note. For sure. Tina is a badass. Totes. But if you're sensitive to that, just a cautionary warning yeah. to yeah. use some self-care. Yeah. What we're presenting this week... Rock and roll. Rock and
0: roll. Yeah, and seriously, visit our website for so much music. Uh, All that we can fit is going to be there. It will be a wonderful way to kill a work day this week. Or any week. You ready to take the garbage out? Let's do it. Ah, and it starts. And it begins. Alicia... You have a different kind of royalty this week, don't you? Rock and roll royalty. Anyone I've heard of?
1: Perhaps you've heard of a few friends in this town. I see, I see. You ready? This is good. I am excited about this. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Like, prefacing this, let's set expectations. This is good. This is good.
1: (laughs) I really went down some amazing rabbit holes and will have to admit clearly that I have held the White Album in hostile territory in my heart for a long time because I read Helter Skelter at a very young age and there's such a connection. Okay. I've put off the White The Beatles are amazing. Sure. Like, Unquest- yes. yes. Uh, yeah. A hundred percent. That is not a controversial opinion. A hundred percent, yes. But I really have been, I got to reacquaint myself with the White Album in this Research and I'm loving all of it And welcome to my trashy love triangle Ooh. Of George Harrison, Patty Boyd, and Eric Clapton Wow
0: what? You've been talking about this one since we started germinating the, the idea for this podcast This is the yeah. trashiest
1: love triangle in rock and roll history Cool, cool It's such a good story Alright,
0: okay. right, tell me, tell me There
1: is love I, I
0: know basically nothing about it except that um, you've psh- been like Oh, there's
1: a trashy, trashy You're sitting down
0: I am I'm sitting
1: down. Okay, relax. Right. Settle in. There is love, I suppose. But this story is way more about infatuation and obsession and just wowzers. Some women are loved and adored by legit, verifiable musicians. It's a job that people have. <laughs> right? I mean I'm I'm told. <laughs> Some women are loved and adored by like a genuine rock legend. Rock and roll superstar music people have sure. This lady was loved and adored by two verifiable rock superstars. Trashy Love Triangle. Of this particular lady who was loved and adored both by George Harrison and Derek Clapton. And her name is Patti Boyd. Okay. In 2007, Rolling Stone referred to Patti as a legendary rock muse for her role in inspiring the music of both Harrison and Clapton. Roger Cormier of Mental Floss similarly recognizes her as one of the most important muses in rock and roll history. Mm. Why is that? In addition to Layla, she was also the inspiration for Wonderful Tonight and Bell Bottom Blues. And George Harrison's Something, which is my mother's favorite song. So, hey mom, if you're listening.
0: I, I would like to get to all uh, the moms out there on the topic of Muse. I would like to yeah. encourage you to listen to what's her name podcast. Carolyn Cassidy, yeah, is that yeah, her name? yeah, yeah. Because uh, I was about to say Neil Cassidy's wife. Yeah, I haven't read it yet, but they I talk mean, about how to. like the Muse designation is really just it's just really like a, an anti feminist designation.
1: Muse is great. I think Muse rem- removes you a little from yourself. Which we'll end up coming back around to at the end of the story. But she was, Patty was certainly an inspiration. Patricia Ann Boyd. Yes. Born on St. Patrick's Day in
0: 1944. Heroine of our story?
1: Heroine of our story. Maybe. I don't know. Is a St. Patrick's Day baby.
0: Okay.
1: Born in Somerset. Siblings come along. Their family moves to Scotland, then Surrey, then Kenya, then Nairobi. Okay. Her father is a Royal Air Force pilot.
0: Okay. I was going to. Be like, diplomat? Okay, but yep, yeah. You're a military
1: yep. kid. You yep. get it, right? Yep. The family moves a lot. After dad is discharged, the Boyds move back to England, where more half-brothers and half-sisters come into Patty's life. So she's the oldest kid of a military family. She gets three GCEO-level passes in 1961, and hot foots it out of there in 1962 to the swinging scene in London, baby. Yep, yep, yep. Okay. So she gets a job. She's a shampoo girl at Elizabeth Arden. Okay. At her London salon. Red door. Red door. Elizabeth Arden's Fancy big deal. And one of the clients who goes there works for Honey Magazine and says to Patty, like, you're pretty cute. You should work as a model. So, Patty's like, all right. Well, let me try that. Yeah, that sounds pretty good. She models in London, then Paris. She kind of becomes the it girl. She's in Vogue, Vanity Fair, wow. Elle Honey, newspapers. Wow. She's photographed by like every top fashion photographer in the business. And this era in the early 60s is the explosion of this industry. Right. And she becomes the base that all other later models like Twiggy base their look on. She becomes an international celebrity as the embodiment of the British female look. So, mini skirt, long straight hair, and wide-eyed loveliness, as noted by journalist Tom Hibbert. She becomes a muse to designer Ossie Clark. Shampoo girdle model, right? Up and coming. In 1964, she appears in an advertisement campaign. You're welcome, England. For... <laughs> Smith's crisps, which oh. I thought sounded like kind of like a cookie, but no, those are biscuits. Mm-hmm. These are a potato chip with the skin left on when it's fried. So, like, it's like a heavier, stockier chip, and they sound delicious. Mm-hmm. So, she goes to this commercial. It's directed by Richard Lester, whose next project just happens to be a little film featuring this up and
0: coming British band called the Beatles. Have you heard of them? I mean, Well, let me ask you this. When was the British invasion? Like, would I have heard of them in 1964 as an American?
1: You are, it it is about to, all hell is about to break loose. Okay.
0: Yeah. So, all right. So we're right at that edge.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. So Richard Lester tells 20-year-old Patty, hey, March 2nd, go down to Paddington Station. I have a, I have a part for you to play. (laughs) He's directing A Hard Day's Night that day. So she heads on down, and she has one line in the movie, prisoners, and she happens to meet the quiet and shy 21-year-old George Harrison. She's a little shy. He's a little shy, but not so much around her because, hold on, trashy tidbit, because that's what (laughs) I do. George Harrison's birthday is February 25th. He's a Pisces, too. Whoa, two fish swimming in the same. Two water signs. Two Pisces. (laughs) A quick summary. I know you're laughing, but this is what I do. Two Pisces partners will have trouble trusting each other. Their changeable natures will shift their relationship all the time. And only if they share enough love, they might be able to handle the changes and stay together. In most cases, they will not fall in love because of their inner need to inspire their partner and help them grow. They don't need this from each other because they already inspire themselves. Two fish on their own. The demise takes a little while. We're going to start with happy times. Okay, sure, sure. Just a little background. Well, that's mean, what you I can't, do.
0: You can't get divorced if you don't get married.
1: <laughs> you know, I'm going to do the <laughs> astrological profile if it's interesting of couples. Like, it's kind of fascinating to me.
0: Okay. And to many. Not to me, but to, I know a lot of people really are into that. That's why, that's why horoscopes appear everywhere. So,
1: double Pisces, you. Yeah.
0: Okay. okay. Code.
1: Code name. Double Pisces.
0: So on the set,
1: George sits next to Patty at lunch, and he is in thrall. He proposes to her that day. Will you like, marry me? The
0: day they meet. Like at lunch. Yeah.
1: Will you oh, marry me? Just,
0: okay. And Patty's like, uh, I got a boyfriend, can you, dude. Can you pass the salad dressing? Also, <laughs> right. would you marry me? Okay.
1: Well, and he's like, All right, if we don't marry me, will you go out with me? And
0: she's like, Man, I got a, I got a boy.
1: Uh, and he's like, I'm a beetle, bitch. No, he doesn't. <laughs> um, you know, she kind of plays it off, but she goes home that night and, like, talks with one of her friends who's like, are you fucking crazy? <gasps> George Harrison is a Beatle. You say yes. You say yes, you idiot. You need to dump your boyfriend immediately. And go with the Beatle. Yeah. So Patty does, and she goes with George on their first date, accompanied by Brian Epstein, the Beatles manager, to a private gentleman's club called the Garrett Club. They see each other as much as they're able. He's on tour, but in July 1964, he buys a home called Kinfauns. In Esher, Surrey, out of London. It's like a quieter place to chill. Patty soon moves in with them. Mm. So, Swingin' Mod London is loving this. The Shy Beetle and the Cover Girl, they are beautiful. They're hot on the scene. Her modeling career is skyrocketing. She's in more covers and commercials. She is described by UK underground writer Barry Miles as by far the most glamorous of the Beatles' wives and girlfriends. Oh, George is just captivated. And he gets George Epstein's permission to marry Patty. He's like, okay. So the couple gets engaged on December 25th, 1965. They marry January 21st, 1966. They settle kind of into cozy domesticity. They mod London out, everything's pretty great, he's a Beatle, George is away a lot, he's touring, there's practice, he's hanging with his buds, John Paul and Ringo. Ken Fawns, the house that they're in, is the house that they all kind of hang out the most frequently. It's close to John and Ringo's homes in St. George Hill. Like, they're this musical set of brothers and are literally changing the world of music every day. The bond is strong. Patty later tells Beatles biographer, Honey Davies, Hunter Davies, not honey Davies. I was thinking but, that hey, Honey is I like that comes up
0: a lot in this story. Okay.
1: That the four Beatles had a bond that neither she nor any other wife could penetrate. But Patty stays busy. She writes a column for Sixteen Magazine called Patty's Letter from London and reports on beauty tips and tricks and the fashion trends in Carnaby Street and what the Beatles and the Rolling Stones are wearing. Beatles, female Beatles fans are sort of targeting her.
0: You took George away. Yeah, I'm not surprised to hear this. Uh, I mean, if there had been social media at the time, like, can you imagine? She's the bad guy. Yeah.
1: You stole George. George is my favorite Beatle. So George is like, hey, quit your job. Quit modeling. Like, just let's come live behind our 15 foot gate and... Don't get yourself targeted. In July of 1968, Patty and her sister Jenny, who is also a model, opened a boutique in London called Jennifer, Jupiter, Jennifer Juniper from the Donovan song, who actually wrote the song for Jenny. Did I mention Donovan as their friend, too, and wait for it? <laughs> Jenny is pretty close to marrying Mick Fleetwood in another less than two years. Okay. Like this story is musically lit. Yeah. Jenny manages Jennifer Juniper, which is a shop that sells antiques and other objects to art. Patty is a buyer, so she can kind of get out of the... Okay. That just sets the stage to let you know what she's doing professionally. Okay. Because she's more than just a muse. She actually is... Right, doing, right, right. Doing some things. Right. But now, now we're going to take a step back. They get married in January 66. Sure. George is on tour. In September and October of 1966, the Beatles' final concert tour ends. Boyd and Harrison are kind of able to have a little honeymoon where they go to Bombay, India, as guests of classical uh, Indian classical musician Ravi Shankar. Mm-hmm. And they begin to get really into yoga and vegetarianism and Eastern mysticism. And it's pretty cool. Patty becomes a member of the spiritual regeneration movement the following February. And Patty hears that the Maharashi.
0: Sure. Spiritual leader. Spiritual leader. yeah, Yeah.
1: Giving a series of talks at the London Hilton. Oh, okay. And Patty persuades George to come along. So on August 24th, they go as a couple with John Lennon, Paul McCartney, and Jane Asher. They're all in the front row, listening to the mariachi.
0: Maharaj. Maharashi. Something, shit. yeah. I... Speak. Email us the correct pronunciation, people. Seriously, we no, appreciate I'm so sorry. It.
1: Ringo does not attend. His wife, Maureen, just delivered their son five days earlier. After this particular event, the Beatles were granted a ninety minute private audience with the Maharashi. Yeah, that dude. Yes. He impresses them with his philosophy. More like, hey, they can get my message out. The next yeah, day I was gonna say they travel to Bangor, North Wales to attend another seminar. They leave London's Houston station on August 25th. All four Beatles are on it, along with Mick Jagger, Marianne Faithful, and Donovan. John Lennon's wife, Cynthia, actually missed the train. She was mistaken for a fan and held back by a security guard, and that sort of marks the end of their marriage. Really? Like That was sort of a dividing point, because now they're about to go, hold on, all oh, shit's about to break loose. So the Beatles spend two nights in banger due to a last minute decision to attend. They slept in a rented schoolroom. They get their personal mantras. Um, the Beatles encounter with the Maharashi. Yeah. Coincided with their realization that LSD didn't hold the answers they were looking for. So <laughs> we're, I swear to God, all this is happening. Well, I mean, yeah, they're yeah. like, Hey guys, we, Dried drugs for a long time, and meditation's time. better. Like, this is a better way to achieve the enlightenment that we're looking for. They hold a press conference to reveal their new passion for meditation and announce they've given up drugs. This is August 25th, 26th. The Beatles' manager, Brian Epstein, had was supposed to join them in Bangor after the August bank holiday. However... He died of an overdose of barbiturates mixed with alcohol on the 27th of August.
0: Oh, my God. So, like, as they are having this This experience. period of
1: enlightenment, their mentor, business manager, the guy who's sort of led them through the arc of what's been happening, is dead. So, everything sort of falls apart. Now they have to become businessmen. Like, this is how you get Apple. This is how, like, they have to figure out how the fuck to do this, but they are all in. But they're all artists, and that can be tricky. It it can be tricky. So, they're figuring out how to be businessmen. They travel to India in February of 1968 to take part in a meditation course. So, you get George, you get Patty, you get her sister Jenny, John and Cynthia Lennon, Paul McCartney, his longtime girlfriend, Jane Asher, Ringo Starr, his wife, Maureen, Donovan, Mike Love, Mia Farrow, her sister, Prudence, who Dear Prudence is written about. So John and Paul are meditating and inspired. They're uh, writing a shit ton of a lot of the White Album. And George, it's kind of pissy, like, you guys are missing the point, but it all goes to shit i think the seeds of the beatles breakup is really grown in this particular time period these are broken up within two years Um, but i think this is where the seeds of it comes in like george is in a cult and he grows more distant from patty they are all there hanging out at the ashram ringo star is the first to leave he says the food is rotten he's getting out (laughs) good for him (laughs) McCartney leaves shortly afterward. He only like intends to stay for a little bit. Lennon and Harrison are still there. And a story sweeps the camp that the Maharashi had made a pass at Mia Farrow or her sister. Like, it's all bad. There's a really good story uh, that John Lennon tells uh, Jan Winter in Rolling Stone. About how he and George talked about it. Like John Lennon pretty much went down to his super rich ass decked out bungalow and was like, dude, what the hell? And called him on his bluff. John splits. He's out the door. George goes with him; They're out of there. But there's the White Album. So, yay. That's pretty cool. Okay. McCartney and Harrison in particular remain believers in this. Everybody heads back to England. And uh, George gets a new mate. A new friend, Eric Clapton.
0: Oh. Heard of him? Was he at the retreat? No. Okay.
1: They're just like they're in the music scene together. Okay.
0: So they just meet and back yeah. back in merry old England. Okay. Well,
1: and so by this time, Eric has been with the Yardbirds, Cream, Derek and the Dominoes. Sure. He's so part of the London scene. Sure. He gets along with all the Beatles, and most especially George, his mate, because he has something really special. And her name is Patty. Okay. You ready? Yeah. Enter Eric. March 30th. He's an Aries. A fire sign. Way different than a water sign. <laughs> Do you want to laugh a little louder? Because I know that you're gonna enjoy this. Ha ha
0: ha ah. Okay, no, continue. Continue. Okay, fire and water signs. All right, so getting some boiling happening. <laughs> no, actually fire and water like makes steam. Does make
1: steam but water also douses fire out. So it's a delicate balance with a fire sign and a water sign. Sure. So, um, they are both driven more by emotion than logic, meaning when they're going to make a decision, they'll often go with their heart rather than their head. Not that they don't use logic. It's just not what wins. When in equilibrium, the interaction will be a soothing warm of a hot tub. Uh, but if, the thermostat goes out you're done like it's okay but eric clapton yeah really likes patty and yeah. he starts showing up also he's
0: a great guitar player aside from Jesus. being a march baby
1: <laughs> i know you think i'm silly okay uh he, eric is Twitterpated about patty immediately but george's is his bff right sure So in an effort to satisfy his infatuation, he decides he'll just date Patty's sister, Paula.
0: Oh, that never works.
1: Yeah, that... that (laughs) Dear listener.
0: Yeah, right. That did not work. Did not work.
1: And George is kind of openly flirtatious with other women, and he meditates for a lot of the hours every day, and Patty's kind of alone, and Eric Clapton is adoring, like their little puppy swoon heart symbols in his eyes. He is n- crazy pant kittens sure. over her.
0: Okay, okay.
1: So one day she gets a secret love note in the mail about just you're the best person ever and I love you so much and uh it's signed just E. And she brings it to George. She's uh, like, ah, "I got a secret admirer. What the hell is this funny?" He calls her that night. Did you get my note? Oh no. Check check box, yes no. Right? Like Oh my she's god. Like, oh, but wait, now it starts. Because George is sort of emotionally unavailable and they start spending a lot of time together. And she says he's outrageous and he's crazy pants over her. Sure. sure. So they begin. An emotional affair. Okay. He woos her. He's showing her attention. Her husband is like I don't think anything really happened, but it's she is definitely walking on the wild side of that. I'm a married woman, but definitely involved in something that is probably
0: not congruent with my marital vows. Right. And my beetle is letting me down. I mean, true that. So one day. Uh huh what happens one day oh god eric clapton it's
1: like hey why don't you uh come on over to my apartment i i i have something i want to show you i mean that's, <laughs> what what do you bad. think what no. do you think you wanted to show he pops in <laughs> no he pops in
0: the it's c- in my pants <laughs> come on over i need to show you something okay good well,
1: there's something there's there's something I want to, I I want you to hear. Oh oh. Sorry. <laughs> that's different. Okay. Pops in a cassette. Layla comes
0: oh. on. Literally one of the greatest songs that's ever been composed. Uh, it, I mean, it's just it is. There's just Clapped and drew inspiration from the story of Layla
1: and Majnan by Persian writer Nizami, casting himself as the poet driven to madness by his unattainable love. Layla bowls her over as it did the world as it did the world. But she's like, Oh Jesus Christ, this is about me and panic sets in
0: like, she's like, I got to get out of here. Right. Like, right. Cause I'm I don't want to see the thing in your pants. I'm married. Exactly. Yeah. I got to go. Yeah. So that evening, uh,
1: uh, there's a party and Patty and Eric are in the garden. And George wasn't going to go, and then he ended up showing up. So, like, George comes on out in the garden, sees Patty and Eric, and, you know, having a conversation yeah. or something. And George comes up, and he's like, hey, uh, what's going on, guys? And Eric says to George Harrison, I'm in love with your wife.
0: Whoa. Wow. <laughs> Bold. 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 Super bold. I've just written Layla, you see, and I'm feeling um, good pretty, about yeah, pretty, my, pretty yeah. stoked about my future. <sighs> George is
1: rightly furious and says to Patty, like, go with him if you want. Patty says she just wants the earth to swallow her. I'm sure. Uh, now you've got two fish and she's pushed into making a decision and she's like, no, I'm going with you, George. Like, come on. Ah, next time, the last time she sees Eric, he has a bottle of heroin and threatens to take it all if she doesn't run off with him. So, yeah, way to go, dude. She does not. She stays in her marriage, and Eric proceeds to sink into a fairly significant heroin addiction Wow! for the next three to four years.
0: Okay, and let's be clear. My guess is he'd already used heroin plenty of times. Uh, yes. Yeah, okay, so, like... <laughs> It would be incorrect to say that Patty Boyd somehow caused him to start using heroin.
1: Well, I I, I don't know. I don't know how much of a user he was. He did. I'm just he, saying. The like, end of the story, he does get treatment for addiction. Good. Not sure how much he was using, but he really goes into a self-imposed heroin exile for sure. three to four years in his fucking
0: underground. Sure. Sure. N- not, actually, not 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 her responsibility. Love, not her no. responsibility. No, okay. just Fuck no.
1: Just wanted to put that out there. But his unrequited love leads him to sure make some unfortunate. It can, it choices. can make you crazy, yeah, for sure. So, in March nineteen seventy, a month before the Beatles break up, mm-hmm. Boyd, uh, Patty and George moved to Friar Park, which is a Victorian neo gothic mansion in Henley on Thames. By this point, George is devoted to Indian spirituality and the Hare Krishna movement. They're unsuccessful in starting a family. Oh. George won't consider adoption.
0: Hmm. Oh, she's really not getting any of her needs no. met at this point. Okay. No
1: needs met. Patty yeah. resumes her mo- resumes her modeling career sort of in rebellion. The Beatles break up.
0: <laughs> Unhappy, God. drugs. Yeah, yeah. Yeah,
1: just Drugs, drinking, everybody's unhappy. Patty would stay for three more years, but George cheats a oh. lot. Oh, so it ends up that he is having a pretty significant affair with the wife of Ringo Starr,
0: Maureen. Holy shit! Patty. Wow how how did the Beatles stay together as long as they did? That's the real question, I, right?
1: Patty says that you know she was the last person I would have expected to stab me in the back. George says he like it is all bad. Patty starts an affair with Faces guitarist Ronnie Wood. Patty's done. Like George's repeated infidelities are were getting her really close, and Patty says Maureen was the final straw. I'm out of here. Right. Reenter, cleaned up. Eric, ah, heroin. Eric Clapton. He has had a bad time of it. He's been deep in addiction since Patty firmly rebuffed him in late 1970. His musical brother, who he really was partnering with, Dwayne Allman, was killed in 1971. So he hits it pretty rough. He kind of turns it around in 73. Beats heroin, which is great, but replaces it with alcohol. So not so great. great. Yeah. In the summer of 74, Patty leaves George and shimmies on over. To see what she has been thinking about For the last four years With Eric Clapton Sure Fire Son Okay Things are good They're booze soaked But they're good He writes Wonderful tonight They continue to date While George and Patty's divorce Is working through its paces It is finalized On the 9th of June 1977 Here's what I think You will appreciate Patty's solicitor Solicitor
0: Lawyer Yeah
1: Patty Grafton Green of the London firm Theodore Goddard later remarked on the sensitivity shown by each party toward the other, which he found particularly rare in his experience of high-stakes divorces. He said, There was no overreacting, no greed, or playing with each other's emotions. I wish all divorces were so well handled.
0: Nice. So they had a non-trashy divorce. I didn't, but yay for y'all! Trashy yeah. divorces, gold star. Yeah, gold star. Yeah. Who you guys get a cake? <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, like it George was... Harrison is dead, right? Yeah. So we cannot send him a cake. No. Uh,
1: well, and you were in the hall of non-trashy divorce for trashy divorces. Sure. It was kind of nice. Like it was just well handled. But I and... feel like
0: there's more coming. I mean, is is she Eric Clapton's wife now?
1: Yes So Patty really? and Eric
0: No, not now Oh, not now okay. No, okay no, no, no I was like, wow Well, good good on all of these people <laughs> That's amazing Oh, you really don't
1: know the story, do you? No, I really don't Okay, are you enthralled so far? Tell me more Okay So Patty and Eric marry in 1970 Oh, they, okay, so they do marry They do marry They marry in 79 Okay It goes bad
0: Oh, okay
1: They remain friendly with George Harrison who took to calling Eric Clapton, his husband-in-law. That's actually really great. Yeah. No, they're they're all still friends, but they proceed through 14 tumultuous years of marriage. Oh. Eric is drinking two bottles of brandy a day. Wow. She's drinking two. He later admits to being a full-blown alcoholic who is often violent to Patty. No. Patty leaves Eric in April of 90... Good. Oh, sorry, 1987... Providing the following reasons. <laughs> He's a full-blown alcoholic who hits me. Years of alcoholism, his yeah. domestic violence, his numerous affairs, and oh yes, two children with other women while they
0: are married. Oh my God. Wow, this is actually dovetails so nicely with my story coming up. Okay, that sucks. So that's where it sort of falls apart. Eric Clapton takes her to dinner and tells her
1: that, hey, I'm about to have a child with an... He asked her to help raise him. And she's like, Nope. I no. No. I whatever that was the breaking point where that fish was gonna swim in her own stream. Sure. She feels like if she made that choice to do that, she would lose herself. Sure. So at forty three, she is legitimately alone. She has lost her identity. And she says that like, she really did give up her personal identity in both of those marriages. Um, I think Allah the muse, right? Right. You mm-hmm. are inspiring to somebody else all the time. You haven't inspired yourself. In 1989, Patty's divorce is granted on the grounds of infidelity and unreasonable behavior, and that's with a "you." Sure, behavior, which it's a I love.
0: it's a very British way to say domestic violence. Patty subsequently
1: suspects that Eric Clapton's pursuit of her when she was married to George had more to do with the competitive aspect between the two of them. She says Eric just wanted what George had. Eric Clapton, in later interviews, says that he was obsessed with her. He gets asked, there was a really good interview, and he gets asked, like, is she the love of your life? And he's like, mm. Was pretty much fucked up every day for 25 years. I can tell you I was obsessed with her. And he, you know, you can kind of see him look back now sober right, right. at how he is reckoning those motivations, sure. which is sort of interesting. Uh, up to George's death, George and Eric remain friends. Eric Clapton does remarry, does have kids. So he seems to have pulled off after gaining some sobriety, a happy, successful life. Right. Getting off the sauce, so another gold star there. Patty meets property developer Rod Weston in 1991, and they date from 91 until they get married in April 2015. Whoa. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So so much dovetailing. So much. So Patty says it's almost our silver anniversary, so we thought we'd better get on with it. So I can probably
0: understand her hesitation. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, (laughs) Well, and also, like, let me test this out for a while. I don't know how deeply I want to. So one of our
1: friends that I'm going to call by the nickname J-pop. Okay. And I talked about this because J-pop read Patty Boyd's biography, Wonderful Tonight, which she wrote in 2007. Okay. J-pop was like, I don't know. She kind of, you know, wrote that. She certainly didn't stop taking advantage of them. And I'm like, hold up. You get divorced from two rock and roll legends and you were their muse for that long. I am going to ride that financial train for as long as it is worth. By 2015, George has passed away. Eric has happily moved on. I'm solid. Like I've rediscovered myself. God, what a journey, right? I've gone from being a muse to being a fully actual self-realized
0: person can I ask you a question? Of course. So, was did J-Pop say that? So, I know in the U.S., in many, cir- in many instances, a divorce decree will include that the lesser-moneyed spouse, the mm-hmm. wife usually, will receive alimony, support, maintenance, whatever, until, until such a, time as exactly. she remarries. Is that what was going on?
1: I think J-Pop was supposing that. Okay. I, and I had not which read is, the book. Which is not, <laughs>
0: I mean i'm with you you know if i'm layla then yes eric clapton can continue delivering royalties unto me until Ride that
1: monkey till you kill it yeah right like yeah
0: i mean i'm sure that was not her I, again i would be very hesitant to remarry no, after you take after advantage those two experiences what
1: you have set up in a structure because patty bless her when george is like hey quit your day job. Sure. She really gets interested in photography. So she begins sort of as an amateur photographer, taking pictures of all these rare inside glimpses of the Beatles and their life and all the people they hang out with and all the things they do. So she is a professional photographer. Now she did an amazing show of all these pictures that did an exhibition a few years ago. She did write a publish a book co-authored with Penny Jr. called Wonderful Tonight. Patty was ah, bereft when George Harrison died. When she speaks of him, it is full of all of the tenderness. Mm -hmm. And Patty and sober Eric are friends. They've remained friends. She thinks Layla is masterful and still loves hearing it. And that is the trashy love triangle of George Harrison, Patty Boyd, and Eric Clapton.
0: Wow. Wow, I don't know what to say about that Eric Clapton fellow Good song, but like, that sounds bad Yeah, their marriage,
1: like, it was pretty tumultuous Yeah And a lot of it was hidden from I mean, he got help Like, I think that was probably his point of like Hold up, I need to make some different decisions Yeah, yeah Well, it's actually fishing related He talks about what that moment was when he got sober And he said he was Fishing, which is one of his favorite things to do. And he's chilling, and there are these two uh, old guys across the river who are super big pros. And he's fishing all day and I guess drinking all day and ends up stumbling and breaking a rod Mm -hmm. and drives home and calls his buddy. And he's like, That's I'm done. Like, this is I don't know what I'm doing. Like, all of this feels awkward and bad, but I'm done feeling, I guess, like the embarrassed. Yeah. Yeah. So it's. It's my 30 hours of research in a 35 <laughs> minute story
0: there you go all right trash cans did you did you throw in a number i mean it doesn't they all stayed friends they all
1: like, kind of like i thought it was gonna be a little trashier than that but what a
0: great story. it's a great story
1: uh not very many i i mean you know Everybody's got their problem. Like, there there was some moderate modicum of trashy behavior. Sure. Emotional affair, emotionally distant. Domestic violence is pretty bad. Right, right. I'm going to go let one more trash can for... No, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah,
0: we should probably assign them. One and a half more
1: trash cans for Patty and Eric than George and Patty. So what do you think the base level
0: should be? It sounds like with George and Patty, like... Really, they sort of just grew apart. How long so were they? Like, how long were they married?
1: Sixty-six. They got divorced in seventy-seven. So eleven. Eleven years, years mm-hmm.
0: yeah. And wow, did uh, they yeah. have a strange life to get right? Like um, one and a half. One and a half, sure. And then three. I'm so three
1: for Clapton Boyd.
0: Yeah. There you go.
1: Cool. And therein is the trash. The first presenting the first trashiest, trashy love triangle trashy divorces i don't know if we've really had a love triangle yet that we've covered henry VIII. eighth that was a love quadrangle
0: How, he, he had the court of two queens and then the court of three queens That's or whatever true. so okay. there were some triangle. there were some shapes
1: there you go it it all comes back around again cool all
0: right well we're gonna take a break have a little have a little mid-roll
1: i'm gonna take off my glasses and get ready for your story awesome i'm, I'm excited gonna,
0: yeah all right we'll be right back It's a great combo of gameplay. It's a memory puzzle, a design project, an intriguing storyline with genuinely fabulous art. When you want to let your mind wander, relax into this glorious 1920s murder mystery and get lost in the fun. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android.
1: Let's do this. Let's do this. Yeah, yeah. I've been excited about your divorce all week.
0: Yeah. Well, yeah. I, hope, I hope it lives up to your excitement because... This situation actually was so much worse than I realized. And I'm a little... I feel like I should put a, a content warning in for our listeners. that There is substantial domestic Ooh. violence in the marriage of Ike and Tina Turner. Okay. Much more than I realized. Like, Oh, wow. Upsettingly so. That said, it starts cool. Like, the story starts cool. Okay, talk to me. So, if we're going to talk about the trashy divorces of musical royalty... We need to pull that camera back across the pond and dig right into the roots of modern American music, like rock and roll and rhythm and blues, okay? Rock
1: and roll, rhythm, and blues. And
0: Ike Turner, like, was at the birth of rock and roll. Tell me. For real. So he was born in 1931 in Clarksdale, Mississippi, which is a tiny town with an extraordinary blues pedigree muddy waters was born nearby On a uh, cotton plantation and lived in clarksdale until 1943 when he was like fuck this uh, and here. went to chicago yeah to be a full-time musician wow when he was a young man he'd watch blues legend robert johnson of you know crossroads robert jo- that robert johnson muddy waters play yeah play in wow. town maybe he played with him i don't know because wow. there was overlapping wow it's possible Bessie Smith died in Clarksdale, Mississippi after a car accident. Really? And Sam Cooke was born there. like, oh wow, it is a tiny town like this is around 1930. I looked it up. There were like 10,000 people. Mississippi
1: has a, a legendary, oh, sure lemon Blues musical legacy that comes out of well, that state.
0: Well, and the the creative I mean, anyway, we I will not talk about Faulkner. Ike Turner started playing guitar oh, and piano. Um, Ike Turner started playing guitar and piano when he was eight years old. Wow. And he formed his first band in high school. Okay. He also had his first experience with a band breaking up in high school. Oh. When several of the top hatters that the was the top- band, I love left it. to form the Dukes of Swing. Oh, Jesus. Ike would not be outdone. So the remaining members? reformed and he he named them the kings of rhythm (laughs) oh i got you god i know right like that's awesome well and that name stuck like he was using that name for his band into the 2000s even so i'm gonna hold on to
1: it it's a good idea i had that good idea that one time
0: kings of rhythm yeah so (laughs) when uh when ike was 20 the band heads up to memphis to record at Sam Phillips' Sun Studio, which was brand new. Wow, brand wow. fucking new. what year? 1951, I think.
1: Okay, wow. When
0: Ike was 20, yeah. So they record the song called "Rocket 88," which is about uh, like the latest model Oldsmobile that was okay. out there. And this is certainly one of the first rock and roll songs ever recorded, and really? many people, including Sam Phillips, think it is the first. Like, it just has all of the elements that make a rock and roll song. No way. 51. Yep. Uh, also, visit our website, trashydivorces.com, because we are going to plaster God, the so entry many. for this episode with so many YouTube clips to cool music. This era, the 50s, 60s, like, oh, we have my been a veritable God. Pandora it's sound, been
1: sound station this week.
0: Super fun. Uh, okay. The song was not released as a Kings of Rhythm song. It was, I'm not sure why this was, but it was released under the name Jackie Brunston and the Delta Cats.
1: The Delta Cats sounds like a cool fucking band.
0: And I guess Jackie Brunston, I mean, he was in the Kings of Rhythm, and he sang the song. The song went to number one on the R&B charts. Like, imagine you're a 20-year-old guy from super rural Mississippi, and suddenly you've got a number one song... It's 1951. I mean, I there are Beatles. Yeah. Right. Crazy. Just It's crazy. So Jackie Princeton quits the group. What? He's out of there. The group that's named after him. Well, the Kings of rhythm. See you, losers. He's, I guess he's like, well, I got a number I one song. I'm out now. of here. Shit. I don't, again, I don't know why it got, okay. That wow. may just have seemed more. I, I, it was probably a marketing thing, but anyway, he's out of there. Um, so Ike starts commuting, it's like an hour and a half from uh, Clarksdale to Memphis. He starts commuting there, working as a ses- session musician sure. and a production assistant in Love it. Sam Phillips' studio. Like Wow. he <laughs> okay. Also, uh, he gets um, picked up to work as a talent scout for Modern Records, which is based in Los Angeles, but they realize there's a lot of Southern talent that they, want. A scene they want scouted. So, happens in the 80s there's mm-hmm. a
1: scene happening
0: so during these years ike recorded with bb king little junior parker he discovered talents right. like bobby bland and howlin wolf whoa like whoa and again this guy's you know in his early 20s he is just it must have just been an amazing time he met elvis before elvis was elvis and wow. years later elvis runs into him at a at a thing and it's like Hey, do you remember me? I used to drive a truck in Memphis when you were working at the at Sun Yeah.
1: Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So I do have a quick question. Okay.
0: Is he a shitbag yet? Yes. He he does seem to be a shitbag at this point. Okay, great. Um, I would have trouble explaining it, but basically his contractual agreements to Sun Studio and Modern Records or whatever, the the record company yeah. occasionally Interfered with each other, and so he did some shady stuff, Ooh. like he would send recordings that were supposed to go to one record label to modern, like things like that. Like, yeah, he was a little shady. There was a little shade, but it seems more. I think at this point, it was more just he was. He had a he had good hustle. Okay, right? Like he was U S T L A R hustle. <laughs> okay, you know he was, but I mean he was like m- making the the world better. He was changing everything. Let's like, do it. Know, okay. All right, 1956. So he's, what, 25 now? Um, he is itching to get the band back together. And, oh my God, that's a real thing in this case. Okay. <laughs> so he rounds up his buddies, and they move to St. Louis. Jackie Brunson? Um, not yet, but he does <laughs> okay. come back. Actually, yeah, no, he's he does. He does come back. They reform... Jackie, man, I missed you. They reform the Kings of Rhythm. They move to St. So Louis. Nice. They rent a big house buy a big probably rent a big house they're all living in this big house together so they can rehearse all day long and play all all night long music is my life and it seems like this would be super awesome except as noted um, Ike Turner's a little bit of a shit bag so on the plus side he had a really strict rule about drinking and drugs in the house which was you don't do that and he would fire people who he caught drinking and drugging so like that seems very smart and probably helped the longevity of the band and of whatever of the musicians in the band. So like a plus there. On the minus side, he was known to do things like physically attack people who played the wrong notes. What? Yeah, like he was domineering, hard charging. He like he was a band leader. You know, there were like there was a horn section. I'm sorry,
1: all I could think about is a scene scene in the Goonies where I'm like. St- if you don't hit the right note, we're all gonna be flat. I'm sorry, <laughs> I just I
0: went into a different, uh, different place. Okay, no, he so, really beat you up if you play the wrong note. I don't know if he'd beat you up, but maybe he would hit you. Wow, not cool, not cool. And again, this is like it's it's a big band. It's not like a four piece. Like it's not like a rock band today. It's like they had horns, they had like electric guitar, they had piano, they had because i guess they didn't have keyboards at the time they had you know it was like it was a big it was a big thing it was a big production
1: so it sounds like maybe you have a volatile temper already yes. maybe you're good to keep liquor and drugs out of the house see that's Smart again move.
0: yeah i i'm fully agreeing Safety with that first. um also this like tight discipline it really paid off and they became the most popular band Kings of rhythm, yo. in the rhythm yeah. and St. Louis, their 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 biggest competition, I forget the name of the band, but it was Chuck Berry's band was what? their biggest competition. Oh my god. Yeah. Like they were a big deal and they'd had this number one hit record that everyone knew was them, that Rocket eighty eight had been them. And they were no longer in the South, which meant they could play in clubs that white people hung out at. So suddenly like they are playing all the time. Better clubs, bigger clubs, getting some exposure. Mm-hmm. All the time. St. Louis,
1: East St. Louis, like... world that is radically breaking down its racial barriers. It's yep. funny that it's 70 years later. Go ahead.
0: All right. In 1957, the course of musical history changed when a 17-year-old named Anna Mae Bullock joined her sister at St. Louis's Club Manhattan to see Ike Turner and the Kings of Rhythm. What? Anna Mae, better known later in her life as Tina Turner...
1: The best.
0: later wrote Ike Turner and the Kings of Rhythm were what was happening wow. in St. Louis they were as big as the Beatles would be later on she said that the first time she saw the band the performance put her in a trance so I think this sort of turned into her sister worked at the club okay so I think it kind of turned into a hangout
1: Ooh, sure
0: some of what I read made it seem like the first night she saw them she got her hand on a microphone And really impressed Ike with, like, just a fierce delivery. I don't, like, others sort of made it seem like over time this happened. She got to know band members. I think her sister dated the drummer or something. Like okay. So, anyway, but it seems like it didn't take a long time for... I to be for,
1: exposed to Anna Mae's talent.
0: Right. Um, so once he did hear her sing, he was like, wow, you're really good. Would you like to be in my band? And so they talked to her, like they convinced her parents to let her join the band. Wow. He gave her the stage name Little Anne. She was uh, very skinny. Okay. I don't know why Ike Turner was constantly giving people names. Like, I don't know if he did this with other people or if it was just her. But anyway, so she got a new name. It's J-pop. like joining. It's like, like joining a cult. I have nicknames for
1: everybody. Some people, I get it from my granddad. Maybe it's DNA. I don't know. No, but I mean the stage important. name
0: thing. He because twice in her life he gives her a stage name. Right, a rhythm.
1: Okay, uh, little I got that great idea that one time. So
0: little Ann dated the band saxophonist for a while and Ooh. actually had a child with him. But by 1959, uh, the saxophonist broke his ankle and the injury was bad enough that he had to go home to Mississippi and never came back. Oh. Anyway, so by 59, she and Ike were romantically involved. In her 2018 memoir, My Love Story, Tina Turner says that it just kind of happened by accident. Like, they were just, like... Around each other all the time? Yeah, just hanging out one night and kind of crossed the line and it was just kind of easier to, like, remain lovers rather than try to, like, put their friendship back in place. Sure. So, so they did. Okay. In early 1960, Ike had booked studio time to record a song he'd written called A Fool in Love. The singer who was slated to sing it did not show up, and so he let little Ann do the vocals. And it went pretty well. And he sends it to a disc oh, jockey I love this story. in St. Louis, and the DJ is like, "Holy shit." And he sends it to um, What? Juggy Murray. Okay who ran an R&B label in New York called Sue Records. Juggy is like on the phone to Ike as soon as he hears this and like, listen up, dude, little Ann, that's your star. You need to quit wasting your time with this other guy that you were going to have sing this. No, that is. That's and the voice. I would like to give you either 20 or $25,000. I saw both numbers to buy the rights to your song with what? her singing it. That's so a nice
1: phone call to get. Yeah.
0: So, like, get your head out of your ass, Ike Turner. Like,
1: that's your moneymaker.
0: Yes. So, uh, let's go back to Ike's experiences with the Top Hatters breaking up and splintering off into two bands and Jackie Brenston uh, leaving after the success of Rocket 88. Although, so he he had come back to the band. Okay. But Ike would never let him sing Rocket 88 live ever. He was barred from that. What? It was crazy. Ike Turner was just a jerk. They play the song. They just don't let the guy who sang it on the record sing it. What? Yeah, he's being punished. Oh, Jesus. Okay. So he's had all these experiences. These Ike, shit bad. Ike has. <laughs> so he decides that because <laughs> in his life history, when people get successful, they leave him. Or if they think they can get successful, they leave him. What he's going to do is create a character that any woman can sort of just roll into. So he'll start it with little Anne, but but he's sure she's going to leave. So he was a fan of a TV show that was on at some point called Sheena, Queen of the Jungle. And he decides that Tina, which rhymes with Sheena, super cool, and Tina Turner has yeah. a nice alliteration. So the Ike and Tina Turner review was born. Did you... That's for real? That's for real. Oh, my God. That is for real. Oh, my God. And not only is it for real, but um, that song that that she recorded, A Fool in Love, became a smash hit. And then, like, this band became famous, and then it became mega famous. Like, in the 60s and 70s, the Ike and Tina Turner Review was boom so a fool in love sold
1: a million copies wowza i did notice your attention because i just grabbed my phone because i'm listening to this story and have i know you're gonna laugh at me what's going on the lurking feeling of what's happening this fucking asshole's a scorpio this guy's a scorpio this guy is a scorpio his birthday ike turner november the 5th he's a scorpio okay um i I did
0: just roll my eyes if we don't cut this um okay so fool in love sold a million copies and it was followed by other singles that charted including it's gonna work out fine and i idolize you they had this like wild high energy show style it just entranced audiences ultimately like worldwide on television i mean it was they're a big deal they were a big deal so Ike and Tina married in uh, Tijuana in 1962. And, okay. you know, they're 62. Their careers were just exploding. exploding. The Review was just a big band with horns, electric guitars. There were female dancers, that the, the Ikeettes. So they were like dancers and backup singers for Tina. This
1: is a production.
0: It's, yes, it's huge. It's like, yeah, it's super cool. Again, like, check out, we'll have, we'll have so many videos on the website. And... It's so much fun to watch because it's not scripted the way, like, like a Lady Gaga or I don't know. Like, there are a lot of artists today who have these big dance filled productions, but they're so scripted. This is, it looks so loose. I'm sure like they were, this is Ike Turner's band. They were rehearsed. They were not loose. They were not loose, but it looked loose. I mean, it is incredible. The energy here is wild. So super fun. Uh, They just it took off. So they had hits like Poor Fool, River Deep, Mountain High. They that one did way better in Europe than in the U.S. Uh, Super good song. All right, then monster classics like when they covered uh, Creedence Clearwater Revival's Proud Mary. Holy shit! In 1966 and in 1969, McJagger invited them to open for the Rolling Stones, which boosted them even higher, particularly in the U.K. Wow. So Ike and Tina relocated to Los Angeles, lived in a mansion in Inglewood. They built a state-of-the-art recording studio next door that was used by artists like Paul McCartney, George Harrison, Dwayne Allman, Little Richard, Frank Zappa. I mean, holy smokes. It's an amazing story. Except. Oh, no. Except. Except that shitbag, Ike Turner. The listener, pour yourself a drink. Yeah, this is really content warning for real, Um, was just a super masochistic domestic abuser, like par excellence. Ah. Uh, In fact, according to Tina Turner, the first time Ike ever hit her was back in 1960 when he was like... Two years before they got married? When he was like, by the way, your stage name now is Tina Turner. She was like, I don't want to be Tina Turner. My name is Anne. And he grabbed a, a shoe a wooden shoe thing. my great dad had those. Yeah, hit her in the head with it. Yeah. So she became Tina Turner. And then she became Anne Turner, I guess. Uh, Anna Mae Turner. In that 2018 memoir, which is her second memoir, Tina, this is so horrible. Tina says of their Tijuana wedding, our wedding, he decided, would take place in Tijuana, Mexico, because they weren't fussy about little things like having a marriage license. There was no point objecting. That would just make him mad and might lead to a beating. I Uh. definitely didn't want a black eye on my wedding day. Then, because Ike Turner is a shitbag on their wedding night, he took her to a live sex show in Tijuana. What? Yeah. He took her like to like, I don't know, a brothel or or some you know, a place where live sex shows happen. And no. she's, she said I was miserable on the verge of tears, but there was no escape. We couldn't leave until Ike was ready, and he was having a final time. The experience was so disturbing that I just scratched it out. By the time we got back to Los Angeles, I'd created a completely different scenario in my head. A romantic elopement. The following day, I was bragging to people, Guess what? Oh, Ike took me to Tijuana. We got married yesterday. Oh. Which, this is, this there's so much in here that is just like classic victim. No, if you... This Did is how you survive that's this type how of you abuse. you survive
1: with an abuser.
0: She said that she felt like the bruises he left on her body throughout the marriage. They were married until 76. Wow. Um, okay, so she said she felt like the bruises he left on her body were marks of ownership. By 1968, Ike had moved two other women into their home and was having affairs with both. Excuse me? Even better... Those two women were also named Anne, so Ike never had to learn a new name. Oh, my God. And couldn't screw it up. And one of them became his wife after Tina, after like he and Tina Turner, Turner names were Anne? He just, like, I'm only interested in Anne's? I think, for one, it was a middle name, but I think she went by. Jesus Christ. Not like Ike is super committed to people's real names anyway. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm back.
1: Um, there's a lot to process there. Sure. It's so,
0: T- she was she's Tina She's married T- to Ike, and she's got two other sister wives? Basically, basically. Um, Nobody. Yeah. Shockingly, you'll be amazed to learn that Tina Turner attempted suicide around this time. She took 50 uh, Valium, Mm. was trying to time it so that this is, and again, this is so. Anything to get me out of this. But she tried to. There's no other alternative. She tried to time it so the pills would kick in at a point in the show that would make sure that Ike still got paid. Like, again, this is so, like, abused. You are. The pills kicked in early. She was rushed to the hospital. They saved her life, obviously. And when she woke up, Ike was there and said, you should die, motherfucker. (gasps) So, uh, and then she was discharged a couple days later, and Ike had her back on stage that night. He is... Shit back. Uh, similarly, when she gave birth to their child, uh, I think I think he let her have two days off before being back on stage. Yeah, <clears throat> he was controlling of the creative process. He managed like how she sang the songs, uh, and yeah. she was not allowed to deviate from his commands about that. How the dancers danced, all of it. It was all. Ike controlled everything. He was just—he's super controlling. I mean, you can imagine being an abused
1: spouse, and that's your home life. Yeah, but your spouse goes to work, so you can almost get a break from it. But
0: yeah, these two work with your career together. Get a
1: break from it. You're in—that is twenty-four hour assault.
0: So that second time that they opened for the rolling stones in 1969 during that tour Tina just felt sicker and sicker and sicker and ultimately like couldn't perform they go to the doctor she's got tuberculosis you what had to be hospitalized and the stones <laughs> sent flowers but ike was just pissed at her for having to cancel tour dates I- that was that was it okay it was also during this period that ike who as you may recall had been pretty hardcore on the sobriety thing once upon a time discovered the joys of a little drug called cocaine, ah, cocaine. now i think it's fairly well understood that cocaine is not a personality improving substance <laughs> <laughs> and tina says that eventually ike was just staying awake for like five days at a time no, and then no, he would come no, back and no. like Sleep it off for a few days and then just wake up and do it all over. I'm sure he was fully rational and in control of his emotions and not at all completely crazy. So, Scorpios are known
1: for their nope. Okay. No, it's bad.
0: Uh, yeah, coked up. Uh, okay. He once threw hot coffee in her face and gave her third degree burns. Um, he broke her jaw. And she says that at any given time, one or the other of her eyes was always black. Oh my God! Um, she went to the ER all the time, but she thinks that at the like in the '70s, doctors just assumed like, oh, it's just black people. <sighs> so Ike referred to her openly, I guess, as my million dollars. And this is a horrible story. That's even. what I'm telling you. It was so much worse than I realized. Uh, we are nearly to the good parts. I, lo- I need a good part. One more one more dip into the bad part. Uh, by 1974, Ike had burned a hole through his septum in his nose from snorting coke. <sighs> and the condition was so painful that there was only one thing that would help it. Which was more cocaine. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> <clears throat> I don't mean to laugh cuz addiction is awful and all that but whoa <laughs> In uh, July 1976 need some Sunshine <laughs> It's it's coming. July well it okay. July 1976. It is the bicentennial of the United States. The review, the Icantina Turner review is booked in Dallas for a week of shows celebrating Similar to what will happen this July and every July in America. It's a, it's a big America it's day. It's a big America day.
1: Bicentennial's big damn day.
0: Bicentennial is, this is actually my birth year, if you guys want to do that math. I and Tina get into a fight in the car oh on the no. way to the hotel. Okay. And he just ends up punching her over uh-uh. and over and over and over and over again. And by Before the time they- the show. I think they probably weren't performing that. I'm not sure about the time on this. I think they weren't performing that night. I think they arrived and were going to perform the next night. By the time they get to the hotel, though, she was wearing white and her clothes were covered in blood. Oh, my God. I told the hotel staff that they'd had an accident on the way over (gasps) to cover it. And again, it's just like nobody. You are a serial abuser and you need to be locked up. Agreed. You need to be locked up. And she, of course, has taught herself how to live with a serial abuser. Right. So they get into the hotel room, and she plays the role of forgiving wife. Like I know, like shouldn't have said that. You know what? Let me let me rub. Is your, your
1: victim? It's up to me to fucking comfort you. Let me.
0: God damn it! This me,
1: makes me mad.
0: Rub your temples let's get you a nap because he was recovering from another cocaine binge too oh so. God. so Ike Turner falls asleep Tina grabs a toiletries case and runs gets the fuck out I've done that in a relationship I had a key
1: in a pocket and a knife to my throat at the driveway at 4am and I got in my car and I drove away and I never looked back yeah it's what you do
0: yeah she uh ran across an interstate in Dallas Texas in the dark on foot
1: oh my god
0: she, <laughs> she filed for divorce on July 27, 1976, uh, citing irreconcilable differences. She was not, she like, she had not talked about the abuse yet, even though everyone in her life must have seen it. You, how can you not see it? Yeah. Plus, there were two other Ann's living, you know, I don't know if he was beating them I... too, but he was understandably resistant to <laughs> let her go, uh, she being his meal ticket. So for over a year, they squabbled about money and property in court, and in late 77, Tina was like, you know what? I want nothing. Okay, I'm out. So she wrote a settlement that gave him that recording studio, their publishing companies, the mansion in Inglewood. Oh my God. Four cars. Like, in total, it was like a $500,000 settlement in 1977 dollars. Wow. All that she took from the marriage, and this is completely ironic is the stage name Tina Turner
1: and her toiletries case
0: and her toiletries case. But like, you know, the first time this bastard hit her is because she didn't want the name.
1: And that's what she, it's all she got. What? But
0: I mean, it like she needed it at that point for <sighs> further, uh, lucrative, uh, in 85 after hey, Tina had, here comes the sun. right? <laughs> Come on. <laughs> uh, in 85 after Tina had gone public with, uh, about the abuse. Ike told a reporter, yeah, I hit her, but I didn't hit her more than the average guy beats his wife. (gasps) Which, I know, like, okay. So, a little bit about how Ike's life went. His later career was extremely hampered in the aftermath of the divorce, probably largely because of the massive cocaine habit that swamped his life until he finally got clean in 1991. Mm. Throughout the 80s, he had kind of constant run-ins with the law, Mostly with about drugs and firearms. That's a great combo. Good combo. He, Bonus. Yeah, he Bonus ended firearm. up. Uh, he served eighteen months in a California prison between nineteen ninety and ninety one
1: for those related cocaine things. and <inaudible> cocaine and guns. I,
0: yeah, not cocaine and guns. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he got clean uh, in ninety one. Yay, you. That's... He gradually returned to performing. And he released a Grammy-nominated album in 2001. And he won his first solo Grammy in 2007 for the album Rising with the Blues. And he died on December 12th of that year of a cocaine overdose. No! Because he had relapsed in 2004. Ah. Over the course of his life, he was married at least eight times. (coughs) What? It could be 13 no no one knows Jesus
1: Christ what he,
0: his first marriage was when he was in high school I think and they split up almost. She really
1: like the Kings of rhythm oh my god
0: <laughs> um but I mean it was the that would have been the f- 40s in rural Mississippi like I don't
1: just keep on getting married it's
0: fine yeah it's fine um and I, honestly I think he's I think he was married when he and Tina first Started seeing each what? other. Like I think she was pregnant with his child when he was still married to someone else. Like he he ah. once he was divorced from Tina, he married one of the other aunts. <laughs> like, and she wasn't his last wife. There was at least one more after that. Okay, so at least eight wives I, over if... the course of his life had uh, at least seven children, like seven that are known about, but it's Oh my god. This guy clearly Had a lot going on. (laughs) H U S T. So so there there could be a lot of little turners. Well, I mean, now they're probably not that little, but could be a lot more a lot more Ike Juniors and and Ike Hess Juniors. Now let's talk about the further adventures of Anime Bullock. Yes, let's please do because Tina Turner's a fucking badass. I'm gonna try not to cry because this is so awesome. Tina Turner returned to the stage in seventy seven with a series of shows in Vegas. Yeah. And made appearances on television shows like Hollywood Squares and Sonny and Cher and just Yeah. Just doing stuff. It was not easy. It was it started very small venue. It she's was, got nothing. I have yes. a toiletries case in my well,
1: fucking name. And, that and I he hate.
0: controlled all the money. Like when she got across that interstate to a hotel, what could she do? She had thirty six cents in her pocket.
1: Oh my God.
0: And no I mean, at that point, Like, federally, women had only been granted the right to have credit cards in their own names in 74. Yeah, Yeah, like, yeah, this is, like, she, he legitimately controlled all of their finances, and that was fine at the time. No one would have thought that was strange at all. But she was the draw. Like, it was, she was the earner. (laughs) Anyway, but she, again, was the draw, was the earner, is an amazing performer, so she was a successful touring artist. I build this back up. Even without any big albums that, you know, were, so there were two records that came out over the next couple of years that finished out her contractual obligations to her old labels. Okay. Fast forward to June, 1984. And she's been working and touring and like, you know, this whole time, but like June, 1984, Capitol Records released the album Private Dancer.
1: <laughs> yeah, they
0: did. Yeah, they did. Included the singles What's Love Got to Do with It, Better Be Good to Me, Private Dancer, and Let's Stay Together. It has sold more than 20 million copies around the world. Wow. It won four Grammy Awards yeah, it in 85. It was supported by a 177-date world tour, and the massive success of the record cemented Tina Turner as a bona fide icon.
1: No, that was my eighth grade freshman year in high school. Like, yeah. It was. Oh, I. You, oh, my it, God. It, you this you is the music go of my childhood. Anywhere. Yeah. yeah
0: without it and she's such a badass so such a badass the following year i being a fan of sci-fi and dystopian stuff um she acted opposite mel gibson in mad max beyond thunderdome this became a global hit still is holds up holds up yeah uh she contributed two songs to the soundtrack and i can recall playing the hell out of we don't need another hero when i was a kid She has a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. Oh, my God. And for about a decade, she held the Guinness World Record for, quote, largest paying rock concert attendance for a solo artist when she performed for 180,000 people. What? In a stadium in Rio de Janeiro in 1988. Wow. A hundred. And I didn't know they built structures that could hold that many people. So in, uh, love it. In 91, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame was like, Yeah. Hey! Ike and Tina Turner were really important in rock history. Oh no. We're going to induct them. Oh. Neither of them attended. What? Well, Ike was in prison in California. <laughs> <laughs> Can't make it. Tina had relocated to Europe. And I don't know, like I'm not sure if that's just she just prefers Europe to the states or if there it, like she just cannot be far enough away from Ike Turner. I like I don't get know. both.
1: And I get, you know what, thanks, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, that's a really big deal. Yeah. But I'd rather not be recognized with my husband. That's with my ex husband. Thank why you. On, who thank you. Beat
0: the hell out of why on earth. So Thank okay. you. You can go ahead and recognize me on my own for my own talents. That too. In ninety three, the semi autobiographical movie What's Love Got to Do with It was released earning Angela Bassett and Lawrence so Fishburne good. best actress and best actor nominations at the Oscars. She was recognized by the Kennedy Center Honors in 05, performed along Beyonce at the '08 Grammy Awards, and after fans of an English soccer club started an online campaign what? to get her 1989 hit The Best back onto the UK charts in 2010. It's like the team's anthem. Sure. Okay, this is the craziest thing. She became the only female recording artist to ever have top 40 hits in six consecutive decades in the UK. What? It is some Scottish soccer club. Football. Football. That so, is a ama- Six decades? Six decades. Jesus.
1: Peter and Paul.
0: Yep. She appeared on the cover of German Vogue in 2013 at the age of 73. She is such a badass. Becoming the oldest person ever <laughs> to grace a Vogue cover. Wow. Same year, she became a Swiss citizen and relinquished her American citizenship. Really? Today, she is 78 years old. She has spent 34 years in a relationship with a German music executive named Erwin Bach. Oh, my gosh. And the couple married in 2013 and live in (gasps) Switzerland. Uh, What? Yeah. Wow. I love this story.
1: I mean, I don't. I am crying.
0: I'm doing a really good job of modulating my voice, but I am crying because it is so Good. The first 60% of that story was total shit, but the last part of it was
1: amazing.
0: Five trash cans, like
1: five. Oh, you're doing great, Buns. You're doing great. And that. Wow.
0: Is Ike and Tina.
1: That's an amazing story. I knew I loved Tina Turner. I didn't know I loved her like that. I love you like that, boo.
0: Simply the best.
1: She... Fills me with fucking delight. She's awesome. When it comes to National Treasures, Dolly Parton, Tina Turner. Boom. Thanks, y'all. Thanks. (laughs) We'll never cover Dolly Parton. She doesn't have a trashy divorce, but Tina Turner, you're our trashy divorce's heroine.
0: Dude, so much. She's great. She's a survivor. Yeah. Yeah.
1: She's a total survivor.
0: Yeah. Well, I need to take a break before we come back and record the intro.
1: You're doing great. Thanks. Hey y'all. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Trashy Divorces. As a cautionary measure, if you're in that kind of situation, find some help. You can email us. We Protect will yourself. Find some help.
0: See how we can help you.
1: Yeah, it's it's not acceptable. And Tina Turner survivor, it can be done. There is hope. There is a life beyond what that feels like. Oh, yep. fuck. Now I'm going to cry. Yep. All right. God damn. All right. All right. Hey, uh,
0: that's so funny. We've decided to, that maybe our sign out is keep it trashy. <laughs> this seems not like the right time. No. <laughs> keep it trashy, not like Ike. Oh
1: Wow. What a... Tina Turner, you're simply the best. Patty Boyden, kickass kick ass girl. Thanks for tuning in to sure. another episode of Trashy Divorces. We will see you next week. We're gonna go find a box Kleenex now. No kidding. And cheers at you. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, and thanks to you for listening. Trashy Divorces is a Hemlock Creatives production, created and produced right here in Atlanta, Georgia, by us, Stacy and Alicia, with a little research and writing help from the brilliant Melissa
0: O. Our art is by Sydney V. Smith. That's Sydney V. Smith at Carbonmade.com, and our music is used with permission of Ratsy, Check her out at Ratsy's store on Instagram.